Okay, hello everyone. My name is Piero Carletti. I am your host for today on Sink or Swim, the NSUMD official podcast. And I have a very, very special guest today. Um, her name is Mona, and uh, she is a fourth year medical student as well. And uh, we are currently both doing a research fellowship at the Baskin Palmer Eye Institute and applying to ophthalmology residency. She has a super interesting background, and uh, she's going to tell us a little bit more about it. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks, Piero, for having me. Of course. This is going to be so fun. I'm so excited to talk to everybody and share our experiences. I think uh, it's good to have two people cover this because we had different experiences, even though we are currently uh, applying in the same match. So a little bit about me, I am Egyptian. I grew up in the Middle East, uh, mainly in Egypt. And then I moved to Kentucky when I was 16. Um, that's where I did my undergrad and medical school. And I actually applied to the ophthalmology match last year. And I unfortunately did not match. So I am currently doing a research fellowship down here at Bascom in cornea and ocular surface oncology. Um, and that's where I met Piero and Piero is the best. Yes. Um, so yeah, I guess yeah. we can get into it. Mona has been like my ride or die since I met her. She's Likewise. amazing. And she's going to drop a bunch of knowledge. Um, and uh, she's killing at the cycle. And so today we're going to give you basically a very, very detailed overview of SF Match with all of our thoughts having gone through the process. Yes. And uh, I guess for Mona a couple of times so she can also talk about how it was last year because the SF match is truly like always changing and they've added a bunch of features um, mm -hmm. this year. And so we can talk about all of that. Yeah. And I can also tell you what I, I changed from last year as far as, you know, my letters and just general mm -hmm. awareness of the process uh, for me has changed. And so I had to change my application accordingly. Uh, so just more important points to come. And I guess if... You know, you really don't want to listen to the full, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, but likely very long. Um, TLDR, I think one thing that we both agree on wholeheartedly is this process is not simple. It is very complex. It is very um, nuanced. And there's so much that you do not know and that you will never get from just uh, the advice for just all the other specialties and filling out ERAs. So if you want to apply to ophthalmology, just really, 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 really make sure you have proper guidance and, and mentorship. Find someone who has gone through this before. Find someone who can help you navigate the process. It is so different and there's so many little details that you won't know and will hurt you so yes i could not agree more guidance is so important guys and that is why there's so much change between my application last year compared to this year um i think people just don't know how ophthalmology is and some of the things they tell you may not be the most important are yes. actually very important i will give one example for letters of rec for example last year I only had one letter of rec from ophthalmology oh. and the other two were from IM and surgery just because I thought I did well in them. But 
really this year I'm getting all of mine from ophthalmology and Same, I do yeah. think I do think that's um even though it's they tell you you can do whatever yeah and it makes you more well-rounded if you if you you know get letters from different specialties but I genuinely think at the end of the day it's better you're better off getting all of them from ophthalmology if you can yeah and I mean obviously all of the the, the things of uh, all of the the important details of getting a letter of rec still apply like you want you want to make sure that it's a good letter um, however if you feel like you're going to get a good letter from both or either an ophthalmologist or someone outside just really make sure you understand how strong each of the letters is or are going to be because ophthalmology is a tiny field and it really really makes a difference mm -hmm. when someone's reading your application and they know who's writing that letter yeah and they say okay i know this person this person is a an amazing clinician this person's an amazing surgeon this person is a good teacher so and they're recommending this person so okay i believe it so exactly there's our plug for the letters um all right so we're going to start off by just essentially telling you about the governing bodies um, of the ophthalmology match. So there's the AUPO, or the Association of University Professors of Ophthalmology, which is essentially the governing body uh, for the match. And so they decide when the match starts, uh, like when the application opens, when the rank lists are due, they decide all of that. Mm -hmm. And then they inform the the match portal which is the equivalent to eras which is called the sf match which is short for the san francisco match so one important difference is the from all of the other specialties is the sf match counts both both as eras and an rmp right so you don't have to um register for anything else this is where you will fill out your application send it out, and you will also do your rank list in the same portal. So it's a very complete portal. Yes, and it used to be that you would... Um, so ophthalmology was not integrated before. They recently made that change. Integrated in the sense that you don't have to do an internship separately from your ophthalmology training years. You Now all programs are obliged to combine all years at the same program, and you only have one singular match which is through the SF match. So this is the only application that you're going to have to fill out. Yes. Um, and so we are going to go... The, the purpose of today's episode is to go through all the different components of the SF match. Yeah. But before we do that, we will cover the AOPO resources. Yeah. And, and just to add a little bit to, um, to what you just uh, mentioned... Uh, about the different types of programs. So before there were traditional um, and there were some joint programs. So what that means is traditional programs were basically like a lot of the specialties out there where you can match into, you match into a categorical and then you also have to find your internship on your, you know, on your own. And that can be at a different institution. And then joint means that when you match into the categorical, they find you an internship, an intern year at the same institution. However, it is not um, within or, or the program director is not the same. Mm -hmm. um, so you will essentially spend a year as part of the internal medicine department or surgery department, and then you will come in to ophthalmology. Right. What's happening now is the, um, the AOPO essentially made a promise to buy... 
I think by 2023. So by next mm-hmm. year, they should all be integrated. Right. But right now, there are no traditionals. So that means no ERAS, no NRMP before you match. So they're all either joined, which is what I just explained, or integrated. Integrated means that your intern year is with internal medicine or surgery, but your program director is actually your ophthalmology program director. And so you are already part of the ophthalmology department from the very beginning. Now, one caveat, if you match into a joint program, that means that that first year position is still with the internal medicine department. It's in the same institution, but it's still in the internal medicine department. And so you don't have to fill out an ERS, but you do have to formally send in an NRMP application, but just for that one program post-match, and it's essentially guaranteed. Right. It's just a formality, and yeah. you won't have to worry about that until you match into that program for ophthalmology. Exactly. Now, on to the AOPO. So the AOPO uh, puts out every year, right before the application season starts, a couple of things. So one, they do a very thorough webinar every year that gets recorded. So if you don't... Um, If you don't attend it, you can actually watch it on your own after. And it is a webinar with the AUPO uh, leadership and with a bunch of program directors. And essentially what they go over is what are their expectations for the application? What do they want to see? Um, Like what are some of the key things they want to see in your personal statement? What are what's important to showcase in your application? what's important to to showcase during interviews. And it's great because this is coming from program directors. It's a really, really good resource. And it's it's op- it's an open webinar. You can ask questions. Uh, it's, it's great, honestly. Mm-hmm. Did you and attend this year? Yeah, it was yeah. very similar to last year, but they do cover the changing parts mm-hmm. of the application process. Like, for example, this year, they added something called the Alta Suite, which yeah. we will go into and explain later or in another episode but um they go over all of that in detail and they're super transparent with you everybody shares their point of view yeah um and they go over things like away rotation and just like all the faqs in a sense but they also put out an faq pdf um, every year uh answering all all of the common questions so things like you know, what, how is it, imp- if it's important to take step two before applying, how many away rotations um, you should do, um, the deadlines, they go, they go over all of that in detail, um, letters of rec. Like um, what's new this year. And I think, I mean, one of the biggest things is the AUPO is strictly formed of like chairs and PDs. So the people writing these answers are the people reading your applications and really making the decisions. And so it's really um, it's really useful to have their input, um, especially in an open forum like the webinar and in these FAQs. Mm-hmm. Additionally, they also put out um, a few months before the season starts a PDF with the timeline for the season. So I think traditionally the um, the ophthalmology match was kind of like the the other match that um, it was on the same date every year. But since, I think, COVID, mm-hmm. it has changed every single year. And so with the changing match day, um, all of the other dates change. 
And so they publish every year a calendar with when does the application open, when does it close, when do interviews come out, which is really useful because you know exactly when do when does the first batch of interviews come out. Mm-hmm. So you know when to expect it. Um, what's yeah. the, the length of the interview season? Anything else? Yeah, um, I mean, all of the deadlines, yeah. even the deadlines that don't pertain to us as applicants, like they still tell you, what the deadline is for programs to submit yeah. their rank lists. So it's very uh, structured. I actually yeah. think it's like one of the most structured um, application processes compared to a- ERAS. Um, and it does change every year, but they lay it out every year. So you're yeah. going to know when what your year timeline will look like. Exactly. Um, and so, for example, I think you have the PDF open just mm-hmm. to, to give you like a quick example of... Um, Yep. Let's so. see. Oh. Mona the is the, the 75 tab type of person. <laughs> True. <laughs> Giving me a little bit of anxiety, not going to lie. <laughs> um, okay, so it basically looks like a timeline graphic, and it says, so on July 1st, that's when the application portal opened. Um, July to September, that's when, um, that's basically the window to take the Altus suite of tests, which we're going to talk about. This is the first year this was implemented in ophthalmology. September 1st is when the applications are released to the programs for the first time. AKA the deadline for you to submit. Correct. Yes. Yes. The first day, right before the first day, when uh, those applications open to programs, all of your stuff should be in there. You should not wait any longer. Which also means you don't have to submit it until that date. So a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, had like questions about whether or not the application process was a rolling application. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's Programs generally don't see your application until September 1st. So if you submit it on July 1st, which mm-hmm. is the day it opens, it doesn't put you at an advantage. Right. Correct. And um, I was going to say something else. But, um, yeah. Oh, yes. So I know for ERS, there's something like application verification or something like that. Like you have to like Uh, submit and then there's like a day for verification before it's like ready for programs to see. And so people usually submit like a day before. Oh, that's interesting. I think as you submit it, like you have to wait for it to be verified. I don't know if it's a day. Oh, but it's like immediate. Yeah, but it does give people anxiety because yeah. if you submit last minute, then there's a huge load on the website oh. and sometimes the verification process can take longer. Gotcha. So that does not exist for SFmatch. There's no verification process. You, If it's ready, you submit. You know, you can submit essentially at 11.59 and yeah. it'll still go in. And um, uh, one more thing. ERAS requires like a supplemental application for certain... Um, certain specialties mm. the sf match does not have a supplemental this is the only application you will submit yes. the supplementals in ophthalmology are put out by the programs themselves mm-hmm. after they see your application and it's really just a paragraph usually about why yeah. you want to attend residency there at that specific program but for eras it's like this whole other application that you submit with your main application before applications go out to programs. That sounds stressful. No, thank you. Um, Okay, so after applications are out on September 1st to the programs, October October 17th of this year was the first 
date that interview invitations could be extended. Um, and then a few, like a couple weeks later, October 31st, that's when interviews could begin. And programs, not all programs send out interview invitations on October 17th. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, I would say like only a third. Or only half. probably a third, yeah. Yeah, and then you can get interviews all the way until like early, mid-November. Yeah. Um, yeah. So don't worry if you don't get like a rush of interviews <laughs> on October 17th. Exactly. And some programs, well, I guess this cycle, uh, there was only one that like officially said, I mean, I appreciated it, but they legitimately sent everyone a message and they were like, yeah, don't expect our interview invites until very yeah, late in the season. That's a nice gesture. And sure. you know, you, you at least know that you're not being like ghosted and they were truly like almost the last ones to send it. So <laughs> good for them. Um, <laughs> then, oh, the other thing, I guess we're probably going to talk about it in the, in, in, during the SF match, but also, um, interviews are capped at 15 this year. Uh, they were capped at 20, um, two years ago, 18, 18 last, last year, year, and then 15 this year. I don't think it's going to go any lower. I don't, know, I don't know, but I mean, it could. Um, I will say though, 15 is a pretty good number. Yeah, um, for sure. You I, definitely don't need all 15. No. So traditionally i think the statistics have been um 12 interviews means like almost guaranteed match and that's when they were not capped and so with 15 with a 15 cap it's probably going to be much lower um the the chances of really you know mm. high chances of matching oh that's um, interesting so now december 23rd is when the interviews conclude um, this is very nice compared to a lot of other specialties yeah. because you are done before Christmas. A lot of specialties interview all the way until like February. Which... Yeah, and they start very early too. Like they oh, start no. as soon as they get the applications, which is, I mean, it's nice in the sense that you don't have to wait until a certain date to figure out how many interviews you have and stuff. Right. But I think just it's so vague and you really can't plan, you know, any any trips all the way until like February but for ophthalmology it's very um it's a very small window which makes it challenging in a lot of ways it does uh but it's nice in the sense that you know when you're going to start you know when you're going to be done with interviews and it's very clear yep exactly all right so then January 3rd is program submit the rank list and January 4th is when the in-person open houses begin January 18th is when the open houses end. January 20th is when uh, applicants submit their rank list. And February 1st is the big day. Oh, yeah. I know. Whew, can't wait. Um, <laughs> I need to, to relieve this anxiety. Um, and, I know. Guys, know we're happen. like in the middle of everything. So oh. you're catching us at an all-time <laughs> high for anxiety <laughs> yes we are well actually mona is done with interviews yes. just finished i have two more yes you got it piano almost done. It's, almost guys done. zoom fatigue fatigue is real so real jesus yeah so real all right now um one important thing i wanted to say is it can be a little challenging to find um like updates like when are the webinars uh, supposed to be? Oh, okay. Another thing. SF Match, which is a portal, not AUPO. SF Match is just the people who handle the portal itself. They also do a webinar. And they tell you 
how to fill out the application and, and basically go through the portal in detail. They don't go through what we're going to go through today as much because they, they're they not trying to like um, sway anyone yeah. one way or another. And you'll see why we're saying this. It's literally just a tutorial on how to use the portal. Yes. They don't tell you what to put in each section, but yep. we are going to give you our personal perspective on yep. how we... Uh, organize our application what we put in which sections and what is generally like more important and we're not gonna go by the books guys we're gonna tell you what all the deets you know what is gonna help you yes all the deets from a lot of research and talking to a lot of people mm -hmm. um all right now let's dive in and go through these sections mm -hmm. so SF match you basically register I think it's a hundred dollars when you register you create your portal um, you can do that very early in the season, even before the, the portal opens. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just basically wait until it opens. And then once it does, what you're going to see is essentially a dashboard. The left-hand side has the tabs of where you need to fill out the information and all of the different modules, basically. The first tab is summary. And that summary is basically, like I said, like a dashboard. The central part shows you the task list so what is um, still remaining uh, to be done and then for example mine right now just says submit the rank list um, because that's the only thing that technically i have to i've already submitted everything else and then underneath there's a box that says completed tasks so this is really nice because before you submit the application there's so many parts and, and, mm -hmm. and little text boxes um, and that task list will tell you if that's not done before you, you send it out. Um, then also, yeah. there's a box to the right of the screen that says uh, what makes your application complete. This is also very neat mm -hmm. because you can see um, if you're missing anything to, um, to have a fully complete application. Right. So I guess a unique feature of the SF match is that you don't necessarily submit a mm, you don't hit a submit button there's no submit button there is one that we're gonna talk about in like one of the sections but the application itself in general like as a whole you don't have a submit button so all you can do is just have a quote complete application mm -hmm. and once you apply to programs you know they will see that you have a complete application yeah. um so this page tells you what it means to have a complete application what are the items that you have to have uploaded into the mm. portal so if you see all green check marks that means you've done everything <laughs> exactly that's a really good point i didn't really think of that so yeah there it's it's not like which i think that would be more intuitive so it's good that we're going over this. It's not like you select which programs you want to um, apply to and then you hit submit. No, it's mm. basically like you complete your application and then you send it to the programs that you want to send it to. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, very important point to go over. Um, let's see, that's the summary. Um, in the, the bar um, above everything, you're going to find just like the inbox, notifications, your picture, your name, all that good stuff. Yeah, and programs don't see your picture until they have cho chosen to interview you. I forgot about that. Yeah, That's it's like so to true. decrease bias. Yeah, yeah, there so. was that study that 
That was that was a really messed up study. Yeah. Um, the one in radiology. <laughs> do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like it was talking about how uh, people were more attractive, were more yes. likely to get interviews and yes. stuff. Yes, yes, it's, yes. It's so crazy because yeah. you don't really realize that bias. I know. Yeah, it's. I think it was crazy because they basically weighed like how much physical uh, attraction, um, like how heavy it was compared to other metrics. Like, whether it was as heavy as, like, step having a good step one or, like, many things. And being physically attractive was as heavy as having good <laughs> preclinical scores. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. That's so scary. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. Um, yeah. <sighs> this was done in radiology. Wow. Yeah. Enlightening. So, good. I actually forgot that, that our pictures are not released until the interviews. Yep. Okay. So... After summary, in that left-hand side where you have all the tabs, you're going to find the personal info section. That, when you click on it, it um, basically opens up and has a bunch of subsections. The first subsection is contact, which is basically contact information, phone number, address. Um, important point, make sure if you move, um, change your address. Pierre uh, is talking from personal from uh, personal, it, experience. From personal experience, guys. <laughs> you want to tell them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They send uh, a program send out like care packages, and they're super nice. They send out like mugs and and tumblers and and wool socks and chocolate and stuff like that. And I moved and completely forgot to change my address, and I was like, why am I not getting any uh, care packages? <laughs> and then one day. <laughs> One of my neighbors was like, hey, uh, from my old building, she was like, hey, I see a package for you here at the lobby. Like, you don't live here anymore. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And this was like 10 p.m. before the day of the interview. Um, so I had to run and have her open the lobby for me to get my package. I love so, yeah. this story. You will never get old. Change your address. Yes. All right. Education is the next tab. So... Um, do you want to go over this one? Sure. So for education, you have like a drop down menu of like what you can add. So it can be anything from a research experience to um, an undergrad education, like where you went to college, yeah. um, graduate school, if it's not if it's non-medical or like where you did your residency. I think this is more for fellowship matches because yeah. this portal is not just for residency it's also for like mm. you know plastic surgery fellowship and yeah. and for ophthalmology fellowship too so you can add residency you can add you know fellowship internship any type of training that you might have had so it's it's basically like items so for us we yeah. went to college so we put that in there and you, you put in your GPA, you know what you majored in, what your degree was, BA, yep. BS, uh, whatever. And if you had any honors, like a dean's list or any kind of scholarship, you put in the timeline, so what years you did it. And then your medical school, you put in information for that. And they still, I think this is, you know, <laughs> outdated because they have GPA, a GPA section in, in your medical school item. Um, and I don't think many schools have GPAs still. Um, we just didn't, me, me and Piero's school didn't have any GPAs, so we just left it blank. Um, but it gives but, me anxiety because there's like a, like an inter, like a flashing uh, orange light 
telling you that there's something missing, the yeah. GPA. And, uh, but you just have to leave it blank. That's the instruction mm-hmm. from, um, you know, the people above. Right. Um, so you put in also your class rank, your honors, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were AOA or in gold humanism. Um, and, and for us, we also put in a research experience because we're both research fellows yes so you put in like the program name the department who your mentor is and obviously what year you did it mm-hmm. um so yeah but yeah. you are allowed to put in more a more bigger a bigger variety of training yeah experiences one uh important thing especially for research so when you add this here it's essentially an item with predetermined fields so you can't really add details about what the research Mm -hmm. experience was about so that you have to add later on Mm -hmm. it's usually not okay to double up on things in the application but a research here is probably something that you can because here you're just listing it as part of your training Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about the other section and, and what that means right so let's see the next section is exams, licenses, and certifications. So this is where you add essentially anything that has a score. Um, if you have any medical licenses, and like Mona said, I think this is more for like fellowship applications and things like that, and any certificates. It's also um, an item section. And mm-hmm. so there's a drop down menu and there's an option for the Comlex, MCCQE, which I have no idea what it is, um, <laughs> licenses, board certifications, and ECFMG, which is um, basically for international medical graduates and op- obviously for USMLE, uh, step one, step two CK, anything mm-hmm. like that. Important point, step one, even if you have a three-digit number, a three-digit score, in the portal, they started showing it only as pass or fail. And the reason to do that is because they want to start getting um, like program directors and, and interviewers uh, accustomed to having only a pass-fail mm-hmm. for step one. However, if a program was really, really, really curious and wanted to see your score, there is another section um, that we're going to talk about later mm-hmm. where you do upload your score report and so they can pull it from there. I don't think it's something that they see when they're reviewing your application, but if they do want to see it, they have access to it. Right. So... Basically, when program directors or when the program receives your application, they have access to your reports and like every document that you upload. But when you what they mostly look at is a PDF form of your entire application. Right. And the portal actually allows you to view that PDF Mm-hmm. Um, at any point during your during you know the fill out process, um, and this PDF doesn't show you like the reports that you upload to the portal. Right. So it'll be just literally just it'll just say pass step one pass. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to like open the portal itself on the web to see your yep. um, report. Exactly. All right. Next section is employment. employment. So this one is basically okay. any job. Any job. I had a lot of jobs, guys. And My girl went to work. Okay. So these are not all real jobs, but I was paid for them. So I like yeah. had to add them here because yeah. they're not like volunteer. They don't fall into any other category. So any job that you might have had, guys, you this is the part to add it. Yeah. Um, and still, this is a like an item 
form that you fill out. It's not it's not a free text uh, right. open box or anything. Um, so you put in, you know, the title of your job, where you did it, address, and the year that you did it. Um, and they give you the option to choose whether it was uh, medical related or non-medical related. That's true. Um, yeah. Which I thought was super interesting. Um, and and then, Piero had, sorry. No, no, no. I have, no, 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 no. You're good. I was cutting off. Um, uh, Piero has a really interesting yes. job. So, you want to tell them how many interview questions you got on that job? <laughs> oh my god. Everyone asked me about my job. It's basically, if you know me, you probably already know, but I worked in advertising before I came to medical school for three years. Initially, when I left, uh, when I finished college, um, I was going through like a change in uh, migratory status, and so I didn't apply to med school. And... Um, Started working in an organic chemistry um, synthesis lab, which is what I was doing in college, but they didn't have funding to pay me. And so I had to pretty much like, you know, overnight had to really like try to find a job to sustain myself. And uh, I found this job in advertising. I told my boss, like, I know nothing. He was like, that's cool. I'll teach you. And so it was so much fun. It was it was a lot of fun. I worked at an advertising agency, small one here out of uh, Miami Beach. And we did billboards and airport advertising and fun campaigns and stuff like that. So it's literally so cool, guys. Like Piero is like downplaying it for sure. It <laughs> no. is it's I think Piero has like the coolest skill set. He like knows how to edit. He knows he's amazing at PowerPoint. Like who knew PowerPoints <laughs> could be that awesome? Like his presen- presentations are very engaging. Powerpoint. He has really nice transitions in That's his true. presentations. I forgot about this, like, uh, this, our, our love for PowerPoint. <laughs> I am in love with PowerPoint, guys. I think most people underuse PowerPoint. There are so many cool features that mm-hmm. make your presentation look interesting and not like, you know, your not boring. college professor with, like, Comic Sans and the, the yeah. like, black background with the yellow font. Um, yeah, Piero yeah. gave a Grand Rounds presentation, and let me tell you, my jaw was on the floor the whole time. <laughs> I put time. my heart and soul into that PowerPoint. <laughs> it was a lot of work. I mean, seeing seeing the amount of work, because after this presentation was done, I like went up to Piero, I was like, you're going to teach me this? <laughs> um, and... I was super confused, because she like texted me, and she's like, you need to teach me PowerPoint. And this was like a couple of days after, and I was like... But like, do you like not know what <laughs> he literally thought? I, <laughs> <laughs> he literally thought I had no clue what PowerPoint was. Like, I just had it on my computer for fun. <laughs> but honestly, guys, like after this tutorial, I was like very surface level user for PowerPoint. I think it's it's mostly like more than finding like the right. Um, and we're going on a tangent, but it's fine. More than mm-hmm. finding the right like uh, animations and things to do it's really learning how to uh, match your speech with the animations oh, i love that i i really like basically bringing people's eyes to the area of the slide that i'm talking about at the moment yeah and so and you have to be really in sync with your animations and and make them you know smooth and and everything looks similar and, and it's just Love PowerPoint. I think yeah. everyone should do some sort of course on how to make a 
proper presentation because it's so important. It's such a good skill. I recommend the Piero Carletti uh, course. <laughs> Please sign up. Please don't give me another thing to <laughs> Please do. don't sign up. <laughs> <laughs> don't sign up. Um, okay, so back to as a match, uh, employment. This section, I think, is, is huge. Um, before medical school, I thought, oh, my God. I didn't work in anything, you know, medical related during my time off. This is going to be awful. People are not going to be happy about it. I was like, quote unquote, away from like academia for a while. Mm. And uh, I've come to realize everyone asks me about it with a lot of excitement. And it's it's fun because mm. real life experience, I think in med school is not as appreciated yet. But in residency, in residency is very highly appreciated. Yeah, um, for so, sure. Because, I mean, for me, I was like a step one tutor. Okay, everybody's going to read that and know what that is. They're not going to feel inclined to ask me about that. But when you have something interesting, these people are humans. Like, they actually have yeah. interests. And they will ask you about something that they don't know much about. And this is your opportunity to shine. Because yeah. Piero is probably the only person who knew about advertising on these interviews. So like it was his opportunity was to, to teach them something and they loved that. Yeah, it was, there were so many fun conversations. So interestingly, uh, like interestingly, I was going to ask you, did anyone ask you about like any of your jobs and stuff? No, not I think really. No, and I think it's, it's, there's a point to be made here. Basically, this is also an item section. And so when you add employment, it just basically says your title the the place where you worked the address and the dates it doesn't have any like blurb about what you did and so most people that i've talked to don't add this anywhere else because it's just there is no space for it mm-hmm. there's there's very limited space everywhere else and so basically you know it, it gives no information about what you did in that job and um, i think for me what happened is a lot of people asked me about it because I actually put it in my personal statement. Oh. I talked about this in my personal statement. And so that coupled with like the context in the personal statement, uh-huh. I think helped. Ooh. Obviously, you're not going to do that if it was not a super meaningful job that you know yeah. you, you, you can talk about. But And we're going to talk about the personal statement and why you really want to only put the important information. But um, yes. but yeah, it's most people Good just point. leave it at that one item. Yeah. All right. Next section is publications. Oh, this is a good one. This is a big one. This is a big one. This is a biggie. Um, you know, obviously... Before we go into anything... Yes. I think it's important to know because... Okay, it's important to go over this because this is another one of those items that you add in yeah. and you don't really get to describe the project or anything. Um, it's a drop-down menu, like um, drop-down menu of what the type of project is. But I guess the important point to, to say here is that, or to make here is that this publication section, yes, it's for publications, but what I did last year was that I actually genuinely put like the actual publication that I had and like I didn't add anything else. Yeah. Um, I put everything else in like another section that comes later in the application that allows you to put in, you know, quote, ongoing projects that are not completed yet. But what I've come to find out this year is that, you know, people don't really go by the book and like you are allowed to add projects that are not necessarily completed in your publication section. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, and I think this is this actually changed this year that they added this other um, 
item on the the drop down menu because what was happening i think to a lot of people is let's say you finished a project you have or not finished but like let's say you have the manuscript you're you submit it but you don't know if that's going to be published or not you don't know if it's going to be rejected you don't know if um if you're going to have to send it to another journal and uh so most people didn't put it in this list because previously the drop down menu option was published peer reviewed journal articles or abstracts one thing they added this year is uh an option that says peer reviewed journal articles and abstracts that are other than published and so here you can say if it was like submitted or if it's it's in press or if it's mm-hmm. accepted or if it's basically anything other than published but the whole point is show your work don't be dishonest but show your work yeah if you've done a full study you did all of the stats you wrote the manuscript and it's nowhere on your application you're doing yourself a disservice yep yep exactly that's what i did last year and that's one thing i learned and changed so let's see the drop down options it gets very complex <laughs> because there's so many options yeah. here and sometimes you have no idea where to put things um but so there's peer reviewed journal articles abstracts published that's peer, one peer reviewed online publication that's another the third is peer reviewed journal articles and abstracts that are other than published um and then it gives you the option to to say like what stage it's at mm-hmm. um poster presentations oral presentations other articles which so vague vague enough um essentially if it doesn't fit any other categories you put it there um non peer reviewed online publication so like a magazine or something like that mm-hmm. uh peer reviewed book chapter this can get tricky because not all books are peer reviewed <laughs> yeah and so if you have a book chapter that's not peer reviewed it's i've heard so many things people have put it in like online publications or other articles it's just it's tricky there's no you know mm-hmm. rule here um and also finding out if the book is peer reviewed is hard <laughs> really yeah yeah i had that case um and then the last one scientific monograph i don't have any i don't of those. what is that <laughs> I, I literally glanced over that when i was doing my application i was like i have no idea i looked this up at one point and uh, i just read the definition i was like okay i don't have one cool um keep going (laughs) there's so much to write in these applications and so much to review because you don't want to have any mistakes um so and then once you add it all it basically lists them by type of publication and it only it's again an item list and so it only lists the title um and the authors couple of important things no um context no blurb mm-hmm. about what the project is about anything nothing that's number 1 so if you have a really interesting project that you definitely want to showcase you can add it somewhere else down the line where there's some free text available and then one other important thing that i noticed is within the sections it actually does not organize it um by like first author So I thought that was kind of annoying because your first author publications won't be the first to show up. I think they it does it by um I alphabetical think, order of the title. You think so? I think Let's it see. does it by the type of um publication. So yeah. if it's a published 
uh, article, it'll show up first. And but, then like, it... within the published. Oh, yes, yes. Like, for example, the, let's see, this, yeah, this section, right. peer-reviewed online publications. So, there's these three. See, like, my first author is not first. It's by... It's by alphabetical It's by alphabetical order. order. And so, it's kind of annoying. I think they're probably, they know how to, how to read these things, mm-hmm. but... But it, it, it does feel like, ugh, you know. Yeah, you would you would ideally want to showcase your first author publications first, and you would want them to see it first, yeah. but... It is what it is. Unfortunately, you can't. It is what it is. It organizes it by itself. Yep. Now, uh, also, do not, do not double up on anything. So, if you... I don't know, one thing that I felt really like I didn't want to do, I felt like it was like tricky, um, is for example, if you presented the same project at two conferences, I added it as one single item and then put both conferences, like the names of both conferences on the, on the like conference mm-hmm. field instead of putting it twice. Why? I think this list... You know, because you can add oral presentations, poster presentations, book chapters, like anything. And having done a research here, it can get lengthy, the list. And I, you don't want them to see it as you're trying to pad your, mm-hmm. your application. Like I think, fluff it up. Yeah, I think if anything, try to, you know, do anything so that your application does not look like you're padding it, like you're fluffing it up. But you're still showing your work. Yeah. So, Great advice, Piero. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, let's see next section is the first free text honors Mm. slash interests this is one of those it's a huge basket for a lot of things yeah and unlike eras eras has more like defined uh fields where you put everything and so when it creates that pdf i think most people's applications look more or less the same. Yep. That does not happen in SF Match. No. And that's one of our probably biggest downsides or like most hated features of the yeah. of the portal is uh is the word limit. Yeah. Or the space limit. <laughs> um it's really hard guys uh to just fit everything in one box yeah. and it doesn't tell you how far into your limit you are. So Yeah. And you can which I mean, having this this freedom to really format this text however you want it and put into this box whatever you want, it gives your application a bit of like uh, uniqueness, and I mean it can it can help you, but it can also hurt you. Yep. So really, really pay attention to how your whole application flows. Create that PDF preview. And see it and see if your application flows, if the previous section kind of connects with the next section. I don't know. I I was very picky about this because I wanted it to be easy to read because you don't have a lot of space and you don't want to put absolutely everything on there. Yeah. And you don't want them to get tired reading it or lose their interest in any way. You want to engage them as much as possible. So an easy flowing uh, aesthetically pleasing yes. PDF is key. Yep. So use caps, bold, um, italics, and bullet points and underlining all to your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So first text box, 
honors and interest section, the instructions are add honors, awards, achievements, research activities, outside interests, and hobbies to this section. So you can tell this is a pretty hefty section. It goes from honors to achievements. What does that mean? <laughs> it's up to you. Right. Um, <laughs> research activities, outside interests, hobbies. like It's like so many things right. lumped into one text box. Um, so... But we'll break it down. Yeah. So, so what did what did you have, Piero? So for the honors, I, I basically went in like an order. For honors, I saw that someone else had separated it into medical school versus undergraduate honors. For medical school honors, I don't know, I feel like there's not that many. Since we don't have a GPA, there's not that many like, you know, honors, quote unquote, like dean's lists and things like that in, in medical school. And so... What I put is um, the rotations that I achieved honors uh, in, and that's pretty much it. Mm. Yeah. And then you have your undergrad ones. Yeah, and then I have my undergrad honors, like um, basically what like category of GPA you got, and if you made it to the dean's list or anything like that. Did you separate it between medical school and undergrad? No, not at all, actually. And this is interesting. This is my first time seeing Piero's application, guys. So <laughs> um, it's been interesting to like compare and contrast. But basically, I just had all of them lumped together in okay. the same, like, just bulleted. Um, and mean... most of them are undergrad ones. But yeah, I didn't separate them out. I did list them chronologically, though. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the most important part. Also... Some of these sections have really weird um, word limits and they don't actually tell you what the word limit is or like it doesn't even say it on the bottom like you're about to mm. run out of words. No, it's just you suddenly can't yeah. continue typing. And um, although I do recommend you prepare the application in um, like on Word before pasting it on the text box, be mindful when you're writing because it can definitely get lengthy and then it won't fit and cutting out stuff is always hard and then you'll be just wasting your time so it's just yeah. better to uh copy and paste into that text box as you go not in the end exactly um, also mm-hmm. like it's so weird i don't know if you've had this experience but it's not even a word limit it's almost like if you it's have a something space like, limit space yes limit. yes yeah. so i i have a friend um who uh, shout out Ashley. She <laughs> um she mistakenly filled out ERAs too because she thought we had to fill out fill out ERAs. Poor girl. I know, and it's it's like very intensive because it's not the same. You have to really rewrite a lot uh-huh. of stuff. But she was like, okay, ERAs at least tells you the word limit, mm-hmm. and you see like how many words you have left. This is very strange because it's almost as if like bullet points occupy words. Yes. And so if you have fewer bullet points and more like just like a dash as a bullet point, that gives you more words. So you have to be super strategic. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a space limit it's more a space than a, limit. More than a word limit. It's very difficult to describe, but yeah. um, like, you know how you guys sometimes when you do bullet points on, on word, yeah. it like dents or like, yeah, dents the whole paragraph or the whole oh, sentence yeah, 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 yeah. because it's. Like, there's an indentation in the beginning. I think that takes up space, and that's yeah. why bullet points yeah. um, re- can really screw up this section. And then also, like, spaces. So space between, like, medical school honors and undergrad honors. Like, a, like, a, a ta- like one space between, that takes up yeah. words. 
So it's, it's really weird. Um, I do recommend you prepare this on Word before pasting it here, mm -hmm. but just be mindful and maybe like, you know, paste it every once in a while um, to make sure that you're still working with, uh, below the limit. Yes, and make sure you save as you go. Oh yeah. Now, after medical school honors, I put undergrad honors, just your typical honors, like Dean's List and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. After that, um, I put medical education projects. I didn't have any other place where I felt like it was suitable to add medical education projects. And I just said, okay, this is, I'm going to, I'm not qualified. This is an achievement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I put in like, um, like, off, like medical Spanish flashcards, some of the surgical videos, so just a little bit of background. My mentor during this year, this research year, is, uh, has a social media presence and, um, and posts a lot of like um, educational surgical videos. And I've been really involved editing those videos, which is, has been super helpful because I not only have sharpened my um, video editing skills, but also just going through the videos and editing them and making sure the like the key steps are in the mm -hmm. final cut just helps you understand the surgery in general. Right. So I added that in with like a little blurb about what I did. Um, yes. And then a couple other projects that fell into the category of medical education that I maybe couldn't have put anywhere else. So just find if there's mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, just, I guess, see if it can qualify as an achievement. Yeah. That's so interesting. I don't know if I had anything that would fit into that category, honestly. Like, a lot of, I guess, where I would put stuff like this for me, or where I, where I put it, was in, like, hobbies or interests. I, right. I don't know. Or there's there's even a section about, like, leadership. And so you could put it there because you, you, you led these projects. But it's, just, it's very freeform. And that's when I say that, like, you can really you know, um, organize it the whatever way you want it to be. Then mm -hmm. next up, which I think we match, I have research activities and ongoing projects. Yes, same here. So I have like a big um, headline with like research activities and then like sub bullets or subheadings uh, of like ongoing projects and like my research fellowship, um, another like research period in my life <laughs> um and below each of these is like bullets of what what the ongoing projects are what i'm doing in the fellowship and what i did in my other research experience oh that's interesting yeah we did organize it slightly differently what yeah. i did is oh so interesting yeah just because a lot of my ongoing projects were related to my my time here okay. and I wanted to lump it with my experience as a research fellow um so basically and I don't know if this is the best what this was the best way to do it but I have the subheading ongoing project but then under my research fellowship I also have an ongoing projects bullet where I gotcha. list the projects that are ongoing related to my time here gotcha okay and are they are they let me see are they the same? Oh, they're they're not the same projects actually. Yeah. Okay, so you... like this one's from the the one that's not under my research fellowship oh. is like stuff that I did at my home program or like with other institutions that don't oh. pertain to Bascom at all. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I didn't have that um, 
that scenario, my, pretty much all of my research uh, activities came from Bascom. And so what I did is on the research activities and ongoing projects, I listed, the first thing I listed was my research fellowship. And so I put just like a quick, like two line blurb about what it is that I did here and who were my mentors. And then I went straight into what like ongoing projects. And so I put the title of the project and the, the mentor. I, if the title of the project, and this is, this is a tricky part because I ran out of space. Um, <laughs> if, the if the title of the project was very self-explanatory, I didn't put any blurb about oh. what the, the project was about. Yeah. If it wasn't self-explanatory, then I put like one line. Yeah, the thing with these guys is that you don't want to put too much because because of the space limit yeah. and also because if they're interested, they'll ask you and you want to leave something for them to ask about right. and something for you to explain in the interview. Right, 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 100%. Okay, anything else about the research, the ongoing project section? Mm, no. No? All right. I think no. I mean, okay, so for my research fellowship, it's more than just research, right? So I included also what I was doing day to day. Like, I'm also mm. in the clinic, I'm also in the OR, I'm learning about OCTs, so stuff like that. And I think that's, we'll definitely dive into this more um, in another episode. Um, check it out, it's an episode where we talk about research here, and, and basically what you do in a, in a research year really varies from institution to institution, but... One thing that's pretty characteristic to Bascom, and probably within the cornea department, I'm not mm -hmm. actually entirely sure. Um, actually, I know some people in Retina do it too, but yeah. it's not just research. It, you're also very heavily clinically involved. So at the same time, as you're doing projects and, and working on a bunch of things, you're also working in the clinic, and you're also going to surgery and learning from um, the surgeries, helping with the flow of patients. And so you do learn a lot of really, really like, great clinical skills. It's, so Yeah, I echo everything Piero said. There's You're literally at Bascom physically every day. Honestly, I would say even like for me, research is something that I do on my own time. Like it's something right. that I have to prioritize when right. I'm not here, when I'm right. not in the clinic, etc. 100%. It's almost like you're at Bascom so that you get ideas to do research so that you get the project ideas while you're seeing patients with your attending and while you're seeing the surgeries and then those projects you develop and you make time for them mm -hmm. but you are a, you're a vital part of the team yes um okay so and then hobbies are like self-explanatory yeah. i would suggest like having <laughs> like having a little blurb about especially if it's a niche hobby or yes. something that people don't know a lot about just like a little blurb of what it is obviously you still want to um leave a lot of room for them yeah. to ask about it in interviews and it's actually one of the most for me at least one of the most asked questions was about yes. my my hobbies especially the the interesting ones um but and i've heard that from other people too so yes. you guys really like this section is actually way important way more important than you than you think yes especially i feel like a lot of specialties say this but i i really and i mean obviously i can't tell from um we both have the same interest in oh, languages nice 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 <laughs> yes so i think coming from another country just makes you so aware of like how yeah. cool languages are um so, I mean, I obviously haven't been in the process of applying to a different specialty, but I feel like 
hobbies are really, really highly um, valued in ophthalmology. And I, I have a theory as to why. So, you know, most like internal medicine programs or surgery programs are huge. There's so many people. There's programs of like 30 residents per year. Mm -hmm. And so your interactions with the attendings are, they're long, but they're not as long as with your Mm co-residents. You form a community more with your co-residents. And send me a message if I'm like completely wrong, but... You know, in ophthalmology, like, the big programs are, like, 7 to 10 yeah. um, residents per year. Most programs, large majority, are, like, 2 four. to 4. I think 4, yeah, is average. 4 is probably average. Yeah. So, you live with these attendings. You see them day in, day out. They become your family. They, You know, you work with them so closely that I think looking at your hobbies, they can say... <laughs> okay, I can probably live with this person. This seems like a normal, like a cool guy. Yeah. So, cool girl. And like also what you can, you know, contribute, how you can contribute and like yeah. what you can teach. If they're like so interested in something, they'll be like, okay, yeah. you know, maybe they'll teach me that or something. It's so funny coming back to my application because I hadn't come back to this section in, in a while, but the last two words of one of my interests, I cannot tell you how often this has come up in interviews. And really? I, I legit... At one point, during the last interview, it came up in like three rooms, and so I, I asked myself, I was like, did I did I put this as like a like a standalone interest, <laughs> or was this like you know like a like a semi in like a bit of a niche interest within an interest? But no, it was a niche interest within an interest, and I have I got so many questions about it. So what is it? I'm intrigued myself. So guys, what he has here is like culinary arts, and the last sentence, oh, the last two words of the blurb say molecular gastronomy. Yeah, molecular gastronomy. So, you know, I am interested in molecular gastronomy. It's not my main interest in cooking and like culinary arts, but I I think it is pretty cool. So basically, what it is is understanding like the physical chemical properties of of food. And using that to create new like food presentations and improve on on recipes. And so the very stereotypical example that everyone knows about is creating your own caviar. So you Mm. can actually like make caviar out of like olive oil, chocolate, anything. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So what you do is you have two chemicals that whenever they touch the surface where they touch they form um, a gel. And so you mix one of those chemicals into yeah. whatever you want to make into caviar. Yeah. And so then you put that into a dropper and you drop... I have actually have seen that. Guys, I've seen this on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Mona is your, is your like TikTok guru go-to TikTok it was, guru. I think it was for tapioca though. But oh. similar concept, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both like similar so tapioca like the tapioca pearls Mm -hmm. i don't know i think they're different i'm actually not entirely sure they're probably different but it was a dropper still and yeah putting in like a jar of i don't know oil or something and so they drop and form they form no so it was probably this so when you drop it imagine let's say it's like chocolate Uh that chocolate has a chemical that you put into it yeah and then when you drop it you drop it in a bath of the other chemical right and so when the outside of that drop touches the second the bath that outside jellifies Mm. and so you have a gel layer and inside it's still liquid and so you essentially have like a little caviar 
ball yeah. of like chocolate or whatever. And so Yum. that's your typical molecular gastronomy like example, but really it's it's more than that. It's understanding like the the chemistry of each ingredient and how it really affects the final product. But love it. Last two words of the actual culinary arts interest literally has come up at like 90% of my interviews. That's so, insane. And that just goes to show that everybody looks at this section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dr. Rajput says this a lot, but it's like, if you put in that you play the guitar, be ready to take out that guitar and start playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is correct. Be ready to talk about it. <laughs> um, one other thing I have in this section is grants, scholarships, and awards. And so basically here I just placed, like, I just put, like, um, any scholarships that I got during undergrad med school um, and any grants I had, like, travel grants for um, for going to, like, a conference or anything mm-hmm. like that. I put it here. Love that. Okay. So that is the last section of the quote-unquote personal info tab on the left hand side yeah and everything that we've covered is editable and changeable throughout the match cycle even during interviews everything all the time yes the next section is like something that you have to submit in order for your application to count as complete so this is something that you cannot change it's fixed once you submit your application right so that also and that section is also somewhat freeform. So it's important to figure out what you want to place in that section and if that's something that you don't think will change because you will not be able to change it after you submit your application. So once again, just recapping, on the left-hand side, you have the tabs. First tab is a summary, as we talked about. Second tab is personal info, which had everything from contact information to the hobbies that we just talked about. The next section is what we were just talking about. It's called required supplemental form. Now, this starts with some pretty standard questions. First one is, are you a U.S. citizen? Second one is, do you require visa sponsorship? If so, what visa? And then, uh, and then the last one is like, basically, you accept the fact that like, if your immigration status changes, you will notify the SF match. I love that it's only one checkbox of yes I know. and no other <laughs> checkboxes. Like you literally don't have a choice. That's a good point. And there's actually just one checkbox and it says yes. There's, there's really no option. It's like those people who put like, um, what's it called? Like Instagram story, uh, stories, like a poll and it's like yes and yes. It's basically <laughs> this. Like they really said no option. Um, so... This one is comprised of one, two, three text boxes and a couple other questions at the end. The first text box is career objectives. I think um, this is probably one that has so much variability. Yeah. I have seen from, for example, Mona, you, you have what I initially was going to do, which is more of a, like a robust um, you know, she has like four bullet points with some explanations about like what she wants to do in the future. I was told by my mentor, no, mm-hmm. four lines, paragraph form, mm-hmm. super generic, super simple, true to what you want to do, but keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And so, and we both have yeah. interviews. We're both doing well in the season. So 
I've seen, yeah, I've seen people who bullet pointed this, people who did paragraphs. I also heard that you should keep it short. I actually wanted to keep it short too, but I don't know what ended up happening here. Um, at least it's bullet pointed, so it's easier to read, but yeah. it's still a lot. And honestly, I don't know if like anybody actually takes a deeper look at this. They ask you, like some people yes, will ask you, where do you that. see yourself in like five to ten years like that's like a standard interview yes. question so you will talk about this i really don't see how it can improve no. your application tremendously if you like de- no. dig deep into this um prompt i think i mean mine could not be any clearer about the fact that i would like to do to be in uh in academic medicine and i still was asked in every single interview like oh what would what how do you see yourself practicing after like all of your training so they clearly either read it and still want to like ask you or they just don't read it very well so Mm -hmm. you know yeah we get it they don't have that much time it's a lot of information that we put on here right and they understand that like this stuff changes anyway with time right so exactly all right so the second uh, box is specialty electives and related activities i don't think i've ever heard a vaguer um (laughs) couple of words as related activities (laughs) what does that mean we're all trying to figure it out bro i don't know if we'll ever know the answer to this the world may never know no the world may truly never know so what did you put here i'm actually curious yeah me too so first thing, so I had three subheadings. Okay. Um, the first one is ophthalmology courses. So basically all the rotations that I've done in medical school and just in general. I'm laughing in the back because her second heading is related activities. <laughs> <laughs> she took it to heart, y'all. Oh my God. I just don't know how else you would word this. No, like, this, it was so hard. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> all of the other stuff is like, variable too so i have like under related activities i have um my experience with mice eye dissections that i did on my away rotation for example even though i did list my away rotation in the courses like under the first heading Mm, but i still thought it was like different it was more than you what you would expect out of an mm. away rotation so i put that there and then like surgical wet labs that i participated in a suture clinic that I did in medical school, and then like an outreach project um, that was ophthalmology related. Oh, that's awesome. And then the third subheading I had was professional memberships. Yep. And I think that is something that we both put, as I can yep. see now. And yeah, it's just like you tell them what societies you're involved in. Obviously, you want to be part of the AAO, like right. you want to be a member online. Yes. If you didn't do it, do it now. It's for free if you're a medical student, and I think that's the prime time to do it because once you graduate, um, you can't like you'll pay for that membership. Yep. And I remember Dr. Wall from Vanderbilt is the person yeah. that uh, mentioned this. She said you just you have to be a member. Like make sure oh. you're a member before you apply. Interesting. So I mean, I became a member because I I had to submit something, and so you have to become a member. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it is it is a bit of a process. You actually have to submit a letter from um I had to submit a letter from my school saying like, Oh, like I'm in good academic standing and blah blah blah. I think it's because I'm I'm from a new school relatively, so they, they didn't have anyone register for my school, so they they had to create this the record of this oh, institution. And so 
I don't know if that will happen to you. Just make sure you do it with time because they're also somewhat slow. Yeah. Uh, doing this, I think it took like a few weeks for them to actually process the letter and the membership. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I have a similar thing for this text box. Once again, just going back, it's the title specialty electives and related activities. Um, <laughs> super specific, guys. <laughs> um, I, leg- I, I I have a one subheading that says specialty electives and courses. And I listed them by date. I just have essentially rotations and like online courses that I did that were related to ophthalmology. I didn't have like all of my rotations. Mm -hmm. And then I have professional memberships just like Mona. And basically I just listed the, the, um, the memberships, like the, the, what's it called? Like AAO, the organizations Mm -hmm. and the dates. But yes, there's, we're going to talk about later about like, um, organizations and conferences and which ones you should be like aware of doesn't mean you have to go to all of these but yeah things you should be aware of yeah also for professional memberships you don't have to include just ophthalmology related stuff like if you're part of the ama please list that like that's huge for sure um but also big thing this section very limited on space Oh, yes. Very limited. True. All of these sections are, are much more limited in space than the previous ones. Yeah. So just... Agreed. Once again, keep that. I had a bunch of things in this one in my Word document, and when I copied it, I was like, ah, yeah, no, not going to work out. Yeah. I, I struggled with this one, the public service and activities one, which is the next one we're going to talk about. Yeah. So next one is public service and activities. I think... For this one, there's like two big categories, um, which is how I, I did it. I did public service and leadership, and then I did volunteering. And so nice. volunteering is really like I did it like your stereotypical like volunteering. You're just there to volunteer your time. You have no true affiliation with these uh, these organizations or these events. Um, whereas public service and leadership activity is if you hold a some sort of position or if you I actually have one here that I truly did not know where to put it um which one and so this this can be a space to put stuff too so there's a couple here that I didn't know mm-hmm. what to do with um so for example like being the the co-founder one of the founders of the internal medicine interest group at uh, at my school that's obviously like leadership mm-hmm. but then uh one was so I helped with my mentor, um, I helped translate a standardized questionnaire from Spanish um, to English. And this is a standardized uh, validated questionnaire for assessing um, health status in people with a certain eye disease. And so they had it in, in Spanish because it was created by this, um, actually they, they had it in English and then they wanted to translate it to Spanish. And so they needed group of people and I, I was one of the the ones who participated in translating this and uh That's and awesome. had to get yeah. my reviews and stuff and so sorry going on a tangent I didn't know where to put it really yeah. um, and so I put it here so I was like I guess public service or leadership or whatever you want to call it but it's it's, a, it's a, another wastebasket a little right. bit right and you guys will find that a lot of things you'll be like thinking about where to put them especially if they don't fall like obviously into one category so you just have to be creative with it um and just as long as you're not like you know lying or like completely misplacing it you'll be fine right or doubling up so i guess one 
one recommendation, and I started doing this months before the application opened, was just open up like a, a note on your phone and just put subheadings and put like scholarships, awards, public service, volunteering. And whenever you remember something, put it in because there's so many things that you have done. You have participated mm -hmm. in so many activities, mm -hmm. done so many things and you forget. And sometimes just looking at these headings will not elicit that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you're earlier in medical school, please like keep your CV updated because you oh, will yes. forget. Oh, yes. So your CV will be your best friend when you're trying to figure fill out this application because it is your cv it's just mm -hmm. or like reorganized in a different way that they want to view it yeah um and then let's see so for me, after so oh yeah I'll, I'll just like briefly talk about this section so the public service and activities section for me was a disaster because i had so much stuff i was really struggling with the word limit and like i couldn't actually bullet point anything because it was taking up so much space but like i love bullet pointing because it was just that much easier to read but ugh, basically sorry guys uh basically what i did here was i just highlight or like bolded because they're not bullet pointed but i bolded you know the type of activity and the rest was just you know the date that I did it in and like a one line summary of what it was um and I honestly I didn't get many many questions on these but no, they did come up I actually did not get any questions on this yeah actually I did I got one question yeah. I got one question but from someone who had done something similar and they were like oh how was this for you but but mm -hmm. it's really not a, a section that obviously you want to have stuff on there mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's not, it wasn't a huge section for questions and yeah, I'll give a caveat. Both of us have done research years. Both of us have probably more publications than the average student who has not done a research year. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and we don't want to make it seem like this is the right way, quote unquote. Right. It's, there are many programs when you're doing your, your search and looking at what programs you want to apply to, what programs you want to, to rank um, if they send you an invite. There are many programs that are openly not research heavy. Mm -hmm. And they say it. We are very clinically oriented programs. Yeah. We're not research heavy. We want to make sure that you have great clinical and surgical training. Yeah. And so if you're not like, you know, you don't love research, you don't have a ton of research, there are many places for you. Yeah. Just, you know, truly make sure that you... Um, show all of, all that you've done mm -hmm. and that's it that's a1 advice so after that box there's another question that is asking you if you have a partner participating in the ophthalmology residency match this, this is be, new this so is new yeah this, this is, is new. new this yep. was not a thing last year i was shocked yep. i was like i guess this is a big thing yep yep so you can couples match now in ophthalmology which you could not do before actually you can couples match you can patch, match with a brother, friend, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so you have yes, no is also an option now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then if, if you are, you, you can put like their um, SF match ID and their name. And I actually don't know what happens after. I don't know. Yeah, it's I'm interesting. Curious, I'm curious too. And then the last question is whether you self-identify as underrepresented in medicine um, in the residency match process. So this is different than just medicine in general. This is underrepresented in ophthalmology. And so 
I think it'll it, it changes every year, but they have a list of like the populations that are technically underrepresented in um, in ophthalmology, and so yeah. But again, it's like basically it says if you are interested in voluntarily identif- self identifying yeah. as like one of these, you can check the box. Um, it's again emphasis on self identification. Right. right. I, so a little backstory to this. Okay. Last year and this year, I checked the box. Okay. I am, um, again, I'm Arab, um, I'm Egyptian, so I guess technically North African. I'm like Middle Eastern slash North African, right? That's like the definition, and it's right. the short for that is MENA. However, that's like the acronym. Okay. Um, we are supposed to, by the US consensus, uh, census, to check white. So we are Caucasian oh. in like U.S. standards, but I never self-identified as white. Um, also, I'm an immigrant, so I don't know. It's just like so yeah. many things intersectioning into this identification as yeah. a yep. non-white. And granted, I don't fit into any of the ones of the ethnicities they mention. I did check off that box though, and like I've been advised this year, it was never an issue last year, but this year. I was advised to not check off that box, um, but it never came up in any of the interviews. Not last year, not this yeah. year. So I'm not encouraging this by any means. I'm just saying, like, if you don't feel like you belong into any of these categories and you're not white and and you may be yeah. underrepresented in medicine, if you feel that way, then feel free to check that box. Yeah, and I mean, obviously this is, this is um, so that people use it with a good intention. This is so that we can have more diversity in all of the fields of medicine. And so they, they don't do it with any, any bad intentions. And they do have the caveat of, you can check it if you self-identify as underrepresented in medicine. And the ones listed here are underrepresented in ophthalmology, but also, they are there there it says black hispanic and or native american i feel like they're missing a lot of different populations that yeah. perhaps don't identify with those three but are still underrepresented in medicine and ophthalmology and so once again just a lot of uh, introspection and if you feel that way and if you're willing to if asked to say why you identify that way then check it yeah and maybe like you're not underrepresented in medicine but you're a minority I don't know. Because those are not interchangeable. But anyway, we're just saying that, like, you can... There's, like, leniency with this. Right. Now, another thing that I almost forgot because I I don't see it anymore, the button. But this section, you actually have to submit before you submit your actual application. It's very strange. But, like, this section, you hit submit and that section locks up. And you yep. can never change it anymore. Right. But you still haven't submitted your application. You just submitted this specific section. Yeah, right? there's actually no submit button for the application. Right. It just, it just, you send it, you basically just send your application to the program. Right, exactly, um, exactly. And obviously you will have submitted this specific section. But right. your entire application doesn't have a submit button. You just like click on the programs you want to yep. apply to and send it there. Or like apply. Yeah. Oh, and, and like we said at the beginning, you can always go to the summary tab and check the like the to-do list of what consists um, 
what is a complete application. And so that way you can check if your application is complete. All right, next up we have documents. Documents is another tab on the left side of the SFMatch portal. And so when you open it, there's three subsections. There's global, there's personal statements, and there's letters of recommendation. So when you go to global, this is basically medical school transcripts, college. The, so there's three sections actually in, in global. There's required, there's expected, and there's additional. In the required is med school transcript, college transcript, and USMLE step one. Those are the only required um, documents. Mm -hmm. Expected document is the MSPE. Why do they put it as expected? Because your application is technically complete without an MSPE, but it is a document that is expected by the time they review the applications. Mm -hmm. So, And you won't have your MSPE by the time you apply anyway, right. because ophthalmology applications are due end of August, at least this year it was, right. and MSPEs don't get nationally released until end of September. End of September, right. Um, and then the MSPE and the medical school transcript here are come from your medical school. Um, and the, the only ones that you put in are the college transcript and the USMLE step one. And the college transcripts, this is something that people ask every single year. And the, the webinar, they can be unofficial. They don't have to be the official copy. Yeah. And then there's a section for additional documents. And this basically looks like the, um, you, know, you remember that section in personal info about like the exams, certifications and licenses. So in that section, you only put in like whether you had it or not and what was your score. In this section, you upload the actual score report. So the only one that I have here is uh, the score report for step two CK, but there's a million other like tests that you can mm -hmm. test, AO AOA letter, um, if you have a medical license, um, at ECFMG certificate for international medical graduates. So a bunch of other documents, but those are additional documents. I didn't know you could upload your medical school diploma. Oh. <laughs> Me neither. That's I'm just looking funny. at it because I don't have one yet. <laughs> <laughs> then we head into personal statements. So personal statement in Optho is very different yes. than other specialties. And that is recent. That's a recent change. Yes. Two years, right? Last year was the first year. Yeah. And guys, let me tell you, they announced this like a month before applications were oh opened. God. So basically people had written, some of some people had written oh a God. standard personal statement like that you were asked one and it was just a vague personal statement and it's huge. And they had to, because of all the changes which, which we're gonna discuss, they just had to redo it. It was a nightmare. Oh my God. So this is the second year that, that this has been applied as like the new personal statement. Yep. And a uh, couple of things, and they, they talk about this during the AOPO webinar about like why they did this and um, basically what the, per the new personal statement format consists of. But it is, so before this format, it was typical personal statement, a thousand words, I think was the, was the limit. Mm. It was either 800 or 800 or a thousand words. It was one of those two. Yeah. This time, they're no longer calling it a personal statement. They're calling it an autobiographical sketch. 
And the reason why they're doing that is because they don't want to hear why you want to do ophthalmology. They want to hear about you. And they made that super clear during the AOPO webinar. They don't want to hear about how ophthalmology is amazing and like what drew you to it. They were like really pretty clear. Like we do ophthalmology. We love it. We don't want to hear it. Um, (laughs) Tell us about you. Who are you? Where do you come from? Who are you as a person? What do you like to do? Like these are the types of things that they want you to write in this um, autobiographical sketch. Mm -hmm. Instead of being 800 or 1,000 words, can't remember, it's 500 words. So it's much shorter. Very short. Yeah. It, it at the beginning you're like 500 words but then it actually is very short yeah and let me tell you guys it's not easy no. to cut down i will tell you i am a psychopath and um <laughs> i started doing this like four months before the application opened I up that. <laughs> and uh, i have i'm gonna show mona and she's going to laugh immediately guys fiero had like 17 20 drafts he he definitely more. went through more than that i would not put it past you Oh my god, guys, 26 drafts. (laughs) I had 26 versions of the personal statement. It's just the autobiographical sketch. Yeah. It's so difficult. It's 500 words, and um, it it just feels like you're always leaving something out. Yes. Which I guess is not bad, because it really forces you to condense Mm -hmm. what you want to say. But it's it's tough. Just anticipate it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, any input? And, I mean... So generally you want as many people to look at this as possible, but also there's a fine line with like, because everybody, first of all, you have to understand that your personal statement is not going to appeal to every single person. Yes. So the more people you show it to, the more opinions you will get. Yes. And it's up to you to take these opinions and act on them, but just just understand that your personal statement is not never going to be like, quote, perfect for everybody so it's gonna be an endless cycle of showing it to more and more people so just like i guess show it to your closest people people who know you right well 100%. and if you have a writing center like i guess my my suggestion would be to like book an appointment with them yeah, and yeah. go through it just like I did that. as far as flow as far as grammar sentence structure all that like proofread it all that but if you're talking I want to show this to a hundred people to give me ideas and like tell me how I can improve my ideas. That will be a lot of work and it's just never going to be perfect. So yeah, I agree 100%. My system for this and even with a system, I still had some issues because it's just, you get so much feedback at the end. One of the people that I sent it to was like, Oh, let me read it again uh, with the changes that you made. And I was like, honestly, I'm done with it. I made yeah. some of the changes that you sent me. I really liked how it how it ended and how it like came out. And so I'm leaving it that way. Yeah. I feel, you know, fine. Yeah. Um, also, I had 26 drafts. So like enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like also enough. Oh my God. Um, but so my system was I had one person or a couple of people who looked at it mainly for grammar. For nice. grammar and for style. How does it sound? How does it flow? Any issues? I um, English is not my first language. Same. And, uh, and, you know, most of my writing since I came to the U.S. has been like scientific writing. And so this type of writing doesn't come super naturally to me. Mm. And, uh, and so I wanted someone to check that and to make sure that the, the you know, it sounded, it flew, it, you know, it flowed well. Yeah. And, um, and then I had a couple of people who 
knew me but not super well mm-hmm. and so I wanted to ask them like is this the image that you have of me and also what image are you getting from mm-hmm. my personal statement what kind of person do you see in this yeah, personal statement I love that and so because I, I wanted to to get their sense for like who are you you know who are you picturing when you read this this personal statement that's awesome that you did that I think that's very valuable and you can find like most of the the residents for example who are like at a lot of programs they know you you know they know you superficially they don't know you super well and so they're perfect people to do this Mm, um and then i had two people who really really knew me and um and basically if anything they were the hardest the critics because they they tell you and often they'll tell you you're underselling yourself yes um, you need to include all of these amazing amazing things that you've done. And there's a fine line between like, you know, you have to push back because also they don't understand the process. Yes. They're going to want to include absolutely everything that you've right. done throughout your and life. And they, trust me, that the reviewers have your application. They have your CV. You can't right. list everything that right. you have there in your personal statement. Exactly. Only the things that pertain to you as a person and like have shaped you in exactly. some way, shape or form. Exactly. One more thing, which was so interesting. So when I was doing my personal statement, um, I had, obviously I'm an immigrant woman, right? And I'm, and I'm Arab and that's a huge part of my identity. And that definitely reflected in the personal statement. And programs don't know like your gender or your your mm. picture even, or like your name. It's very, well, at least they like to say it's very like... Um, standardized and yeah and they Uh, don't like objective non-biased but my personal statement really gives it away right Uh. and I was asking like the majority of people I was asking were I realized women and some of them are women of color so the way my personal statement was perceived was in somewhat along the same spectrum it wasn't you know, I wasn't getting like a white man's opinion. Oh, and that's let me such tell you, point. let me tell you, these review committees are mostly white men. Yes. <laughs> and so you want you as as bad as it sounds, you want to, you know, kind of cater to that too. Yeah, or like make sure that you understand that perspective. That's right. such a good point that I did not think of, and I actually didn't have. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Enlightening. <laughs> I know. I was like, I really don't know that many white men, but like, yeah. I guess I can show it to one of my mentors who's a white man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Enlightening. Um, I guess one other thing is if you feel really good about your personal statement and about how it portrays you, how it portrays your, your life and, and your, your upbringing and everything that you've put on there. If you receive feedback, even from someone who is very high up or like, you know, has a lot of of powers, like a mentor of yours, try to push back a little bit and see why they're saying it. Mm. Because I realized with some of my mentors feedback, it's just maybe they have a certain um, way they like uh, personal statements to Mm. read. And so, you know, take every piece of of, of comments on your personal statement with a grain of salt mm-hmm. and take it with the perspective of whoever's giving it to you. Yeah. 
you know, are they involved in this process? Do they read personal statements? Then that probably is worth a bit more. Or um, are just are they just a type of people to, you know, more like classical type of conservative um, approach to the application? So just, you know, take that with a grain of salt and make sure the personal statement reads well and it portrays yourself. Okay. Right. And um, also one more thing you will want to include a lot of things and i was personally told to like take certain stuff out and i felt really strongly about how integral those were to me as a person and i really didn't want to take them out but sometimes you can incorporate them in other parts of the application yes Uh, we didn't talk about this yet but it's not just so they didn't take away the personal statement and re- replace it with just the autobiographical yeah. sketch. <laughs> they included two or four prompts. Yes. Questions that you can choose two from. Yeah. And answer in an essay format. Yep. And the cap on those was two fifty words for each prompt, and you had two. So, some some of the things that I was wanting to, or they were wanting to take out, were things that I could include. Um, mm. in in other parts in like the prompts or oh, the answer to the prompts that's a good point um so you can do that but if you feel really really strongly about like how yeah one thing is like definitely like should be in the personal statement because that's no. the first thing they read then definitely put it there i don't know yeah so to echo some of that basically and and to give a recap basically the personal statements tab consists of three like pieces of text one is your 500-word autobiographical sketch, and then they give you four questions. They say, choose two and answer these questions in 250 words or less. The questions are, what does resilience mean to you? Describe a situation in your personal or professional life where you have been, uh, where you have demonstrated resilience. That's one question. The second question is, describe an important mentor and relate how that person has been helpful to you. The third question is describe a way in which you will add diversity to your residency class. This may relate to your background, upbringing, life experiences, professional, personal interests, or educational path. Mm -hmm. And then number four is if you were to start an ophthalmology residency program, what would be the three core values you would base it on? Mm -hmm. So you get to choose two of these and answer them right after the personal statement. And that's where I want to to put my emphasis on. So, or right after the autobiographical sketch, um, excuse me. So basically the way they read it is autobiographical sketch, question, question. So- Literally on the same page. On the same page. And so I really, really took care of making sure that it almost flowed, that it Mm -hmm. almost felt like the same text. Mm And so, you know, it's it. They are different topics, but it, it takes crafting to make sure that it reads well and that I it flows. That. Yeah, and uh, one thing about this is that if you feel like one question was already answered in your personal statement, then think again about choosing that prompt, or yeah. think about if you want to take it out of yes. the personal statement and include something that's more pertinent to you in the yes. personal statement as a replacement. Yep, this happened to me actually. In mm-hmm. one of my like in the original drafts, I had 
a huge paragraph that essentially ended up becoming one of my questions. And then I was able to reshape the, the autobiographical sketch with a bit more detail about something else I wanted to, to show. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a prompt about describe a way in which you will add diversity in your class. And that could be your upbringing, training, whatever. Yeah. I feel like we probably both talked about our upbringing. Yeah. Yep. That's harped on in the personal statement. It's yes. really hard to miss. Yeah. So I was not going to answer that prompt right. again. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that's it for the personal statements. You can actually create multiple personal statements and tailor them to programs yep. and send different personal statements to different programs. So I particularly didn't do that. I created just one general personal mm. statement and sent the same to everyone. I guess, so I tailored it to some programs which I had mm. geographical ties on uh, to. It really doesn't matter just if you're interested in a program and you know you really want to make sure... Um, it's tailored towards them then do that but like chances are if they pick up your application and read your personal statement it's really not going to matter whether it's tailored towards them or not if they're interested in your application they're going to read it exactly um and then one more thing please 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 make sure that if you are assigning this personal statement to a program that you do it and double check it 50 times that you assign (laughs) the right personal statement that includes that that program's name to the right program are you talking from experience no no, no, no. okay (laughs) i was scared here but but it was scary for me doing it because like i really wanted to not mess this up like you can really hurt your chances of course oh my god like good thing is they don't get to see the title of the of the personal statement so like you know you can label them as like personal statement program why Mm -hmm. they don't get to see that yeah all they see is the actual text Right. But but still. So make sure you, you assign the actual text to the right program. <laughs> All right. So after personal statements, we're still in the documents uh, section. The next and last section part, subsection is letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. And so here you're going to see um, basically... You can there's a button to request mm-hmm. a letter and then you'll see all your letters listed and You'll see who wrote them, when they came in, and who they came from. And basically, they all say letter writer and whether they are like still pending or they're uploaded. And this is it. This section, you don't do anything with the letters in this section. Right. So this is pretty much straightforward. Pretty straightforward. All right. So (laughs) we're done with the documents tab. Next tab is programs. Yep. When you open up that tab, you'll see three subsections. Program directory, saved programs, and applied programs. So program directory is essentially all of the programs. This is very annoying because (laughs) to apply to the programs when it comes to like the time to actually apply and send in your applications, you have to, you can only apply to programs that you saved. Saving is almost like favoriting a program. And so you have to save all of the programs that you want to apply to and that cannot be in bulk you have to save it one by one and so i mean if you're applying to many programs or like the majority of programs what you can do is just save them all and Mm -hmm. then unsave the ones that you know you're not going to apply to Mm -hmm. or that you don't want to apply to but yeah, basically know that you just you can't just like say, okay, yeah, apply to like, 
you know, so like, or you can't just like select check boxes and then say, click saved, save. No, you actually have to save each one yeah. individually. It's very annoying. Manually. They need to improve that. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. This is, this is terrible. All right. Then finally the applied programs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And okay. So, and when you're, um, applying, you will have the option to select which letter and which personal statement you want to assign to each program. If you only have three letters and one personal statement, you can just assign it to all of them. But if yep. you have more, you have to be careful to assign it individually or you know you can assign them in bulk to a bunch of them and then specifically to some of them um, assign a different combination. So you're actually allowed to upload as many letters as you can, as you yep. want. and. But you really are only allowed to assign three letters per program. So, for example, for me, like, I had letters from my home department, so I made sure I I assigned those to my home department and gotcha. home department only. Gotcha, gotcha. And, like, the more, I guess, quote, competitive letters, those, you know, I assign them to the rest of the right. programs. Right, yep. So you can pick and choose is what I'm saying. Exactly. You can pick and choose, but... You can only assign three letters to an individual program. Right. All right. So that's it for the programs tab. And then that's basically where you submit, quote unquote, submit your application. You send it out and then you pay, which is like a chunk of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Um, <laughs> then, it's an investment, guys. Yeah, exactly. Not the time to be stingy. <laughs> um, then is the interview scheduler, interview scheduler tab. Yeah. So this is pretty self-explanatory. Interview invites come in. They um they basically say like what time uh what time and dates are available. You select it and then you schedule it. And then there's three like sub tabs within the interview scheduler. There's invitations, scheduled, and declined. And so you can you know you can toggle through all three and see which ones um are under each tab. Uh one. I guess thing to keep in mind some programs will send in like straight in their interview invite um through the portal and you know you have to really act quick because the, the good times go away pretty quickly some other programs to give you a bit of a heads up they send in like an internal message like a dm almost because you have like an inbox mm -hmm. and say like hey we're about to send you an in interview invite that's really nice. I really appreciate mm -hmm. it when they did that because you're prepared. You're like, you're, okay, I have my phone in hand. I'm ready mm -hmm. to, you know, schedule this as quickly as possible. Right. And uh, I was going to say something along those lines. Oh, you're always going to have a spot. But yes. the caveat here is that maybe it's not your ideal day and time. Yes. So the reason why you have to act quick is not because you're going to not have mm -hmm. any like secured interview spot but just you know the best timing or the most popular timing may be taken away yeah That's... and i actually i think that may be different than the other specialties agreed Optho, i'm not 100 percent sure but i think it used to be at least in yeah. most specialties that if you didn't secure a spot on time you were like put on a wait list. Yeah, it's or, insane like, to me. Like <laughs> that's insane. Like you were offered an interview, and just because you didn't get it in time, right. you know, didn't schedule it in time, you you lost that spot. Ophthalmology made it, and I think that that happened maybe a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. so that 
if they extended an interview, there has to be at least one spot right. available for you. It just, like Mona said, may be at a date that, you know, on a date that you don't want. So, mm-hmm. okay. And I will say also over the years, they are starting to put more and more cap on the number of interviews that you can oh, yes. actually accept and do. Two years ago, it was like in the 20s. It and was then 20. Yeah. It was 20, and then last year it was 18. It was 18. And I guess they didn't think that was enough, so they <laughs> did 15 this year. Yep. So who knows what will happen next year. Just know that that is a possibility, you know, yep. that there is a cap, which yep. is different from other specialties. Correct. Yep. So this year, only 15 interviews you can take. You can swap. So let's say, you know, you're like incredible and within the first like day you reached 15 interviews Mm -hmm. if you get another one you will get the invite and you can accept it but you have to decline another one right um so you know it gives you that flexibility always important if you're going to decline make sure you're declining it at least um within or like with two weeks before the the date of the interview okay so that's it for the interview scheduler now as for the interviews uh, so for the next tab it says interviews completed i really have not used this this tab i think it's more for like your um i think it's for ranking oh yeah. that is true so when you go to rank list go to rank list yeah um and like i mean closer to the rank day you will you will like basically, I think you can only rank programs that you've assigned the interviews for. Oh, that you've like that you've completed. completed. Gotcha. But I'm not sure. I think that's how it was last year. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, so that's super interesting. Let's let's give it a try. So there's this tab under interview scheduler that says interviews completed, and it basically shows all of the programs that you've um, interviewed at, or not that you apply to, mm-hmm. and then it, there's like a toggle um, next to all of the programs where you can um basically active like quote unquote activate it almost like when you turn something on in your iphone Mm -hmm. um putting that you completed the um the interview there Mm -hmm. so for example let me toggle this one because i completed this interview let me toggle this one um okay so let's just do those two as like an example okay there we go yes 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 okay so that is so that you can rank them so if you want to rank the places that you interviewed at, you have to click on that toggle and then they become available in the next tab. So the next tab is rank list. And that um, is essentially just says there's a big red button that's like, you know, like nuclear power plant that says withdraw from the match cycle. You it don't. scares me so much because it's, so it's like scary. right there. And like, I'm so scared to click on it. I'm sure there's going to be like, are you sure? I know, yeah. But still, though. Yeah. It's like one of those things that you're like, but it's right there. I feel like I'm going to accidentally touch it, but I don't know. Um, I don't want to click it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stay very much away from it. It says withdraw from match cycle. And then the next section says programs not ranked. And then it shows just a list of the programs that you just toggled in the previous um, section. And the mm-hmm. interview is completed. And so, and then each of the, pro- next to the program, there's a little arrow and says add to the rank list. And then you can add those to the rank list and you can arrange them however you want. 
Yes. And then you, there's like obviously some like the matching agreement and a bunch of text. And then um, an I agree um, text box or not text box, like click uh, box. And then you submit your rank list from mm -hmm. this, this specific page. Now, any any comments, any thoughts, inputs on this? It's pretty... No, it's self-explanatory. Right. Um, once you've thought through your rank list, I mean, it's just uh, manual work to, to actually do it. Yeah, and so important, how to come up with a rank list. I mean, I feel like that's feel like, like, a whole another like a whole yeah. different podcast, but it's, I mean really like it's like so variable person to person too yeah i guess the most important things are or the people that the, the things that everyone pretty much considers are training um geography mm -hmm. vibe yes and some people consider ranking very highly mm -hmm. like how does a program rank nationally mm -hmm. and so just make sure that while you're interviewing you take good notes right after the interview because you do forget they get they mix up you you know yes. you, like they, they all start like you're you're gonna be like at the end of the season you're gonna be like oh which person told me this specific yes. factoid and you won't remember trust me it's so exhausting um okay and then let's see we can we can talk we can do like another podcast about um, ranking, uh, yeah, rank this, order list. Right. The next step is vacancies. This is, this does not pertain to anyone who has matched. This is for right. post-match, like, open spots. Um, okay, gotcha. So this is, this is something that I was looking at last year, for example, um, which I can delve into a little bit more, but I don't think it's necessary at this point. Yeah, it just basically is like a, like a search, um, engine for all open um, available vacant positions and so because the SF match works not only for ophthalmology um, residency but for a bunch of fellowship I actually right now I can see a bunch of like open spots for like plastic surgery fellowship um, yeah like cornea fellowship and, and neuro-oncology so you know this like Melissa said only pertains to the people who um, did not match in the first time in the first match and so this is kind of like the equivalent of the soap yeah yeah it's a different like it's not you have to apply to these programs that have vacancies but you know it's it's not as rigorous as a soap process at all gotcha. um and i was gonna say something about this um these vacancies yeah, um, I mean, there's <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of unfilled spots in ophthalmology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's rarely any. I think right. There's like usually like one, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say this may be you know, not totally PC, but a lot of spots get filled from within, so they never get advertised. Yeah. Programs are not obliged to advertise their vacancies. Mm. Gotcha. So it can be internal, I which I heard has been happening more than I was anticipating. Gosh, I did not know. We do not endorse conspiracy theories, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know. I actually, I guess I've been too hopeful, maybe. I mean, you will never have to worry about we, this. We so. will both match the cycle. We're crossing our fingers. Yes. Um, okay, next, next up 
is open house tours. So I don't know if all of the other specialties are doing this, but basically because of interviews going virtual, uh, programs are opening up a, like a week in January for, for you to visit in person. Mm-hmm. And so you have to sign up um, for the specific days that they're offering. And there's like specific, you know, a, a number of spots available on each day. So that mm-hmm. ever doesn't, you know, doesn't happen that everyone comes on the same day. Now, um, something really nice that ophthalmology did that I think other specialties haven't done is the open houses happen after the programs have submitted their rank list, but the applicants haven't submitted ours. We haven't submitted ours. Mm -hmm. So the open house tours are truly for you to explore the program. Because the, pro- the program has already submitted their rank list. They can't change anything. You yeah. going or not going or you asking certain questions during the open house tour won't change how they rank you because they already did. It's really for you to truly be critical of the program, analyze whether that program's a good fit for you. And so I think that's great. I think most specialties, they rank, the rankings go in at the same time. I'm not, not I'm really so sure. sure. Um, but this is how the ophthalmology one is. And they also don't see who signed up oh, yeah, to huge. do an open house or to participate in their open houses. So they're currently up on the website and you can sign up for them. We yep. are currently looking at them. But this will notify this will not notify the program that you signed up or not. So right. even though they are still, you know, working on their rank list and the open houses are available, they will have just no input from that area. So the whole point is for like equity purposes to not favor the people who are going. Um, Because, you know, it's easy for a program to say, it's it's hard for programs to put together rank lists. I think they truly do like a lot of applicants and especially in ophthalmology where you only have like four spots, you're forced to, you know, create a very short rank list and you are forced to not rank people that you really liked. And so I think programs have a very hard time putting together the, the rank list. Mm-hmm. And so it's it would be easy for that to give them the temptation of checking like, okay, who signed up for the, the open yeah. house? Okay, this person's probably very interested. Let's rank them higher. Mm-hmm. And so to mitigate that from happening, to not even give the option, if you sign up, it only tells them someone signed up. Like this many people are signed up for the open house. It doesn't tell them who signed up until the rank list is submitted. Mm-hmm. Once it is, then they can see who's, who's signed up. Um, let's right. see. Okay. And, and uh, you know, a lot of these open houses actually overlap in yes. time. So yes. I have been told to like explore the first four to five that I'm thinking about putting on my rank list. Um, especially if you haven't visited the place. If you visited the place and you kind of have a sense of what it's like to live in that city or town, etc., then maybe it won't be as beneficial to right. go. So definitely think about that um, and prioritize where you actually want to visit and yeah. see the program and see the city. Yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking about you know which ones yeah. I will go to or whether I will go to you know, any, um, because like Mona said, it's, it's mostly to check out the facility, the staff and the city. I think the city is a huge thing. Like, especially if you don't know it, 
Um, I think a couple of the cities in my um, rank list are cities that I've never been to, and so it's it's always important to um, to know whether you can live there for four years. Yep. All right. That is it for the open house tour tab. And then the last tab is transactions. That's basically just like the, res- <laughs> the receipts for like how much Dude, you paid for your like registration. And so I don't want to look at that anymore. So I'm going <laughs> to leave that section. And uh, that completes the tour of the SF Match <clears throat> portal um, and our inputs and the differences between what we put in and the differences that we can tell from ERS and from other specialties portals and application processes. So we hope this was useful. And thank you so much for listening. Mona, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun and I love talking about this. We're literally in the middle of this process. So everything that you're getting is like fresh. We're doing it as, as we speak. So if you have any more questions though, feel free to um, let Pierre know or yeah. Yeah. The the next uh, podcast that we're going to have, or you know, you can check out all the episodes. Are probably going to be released at the same time. But Mona is also going to be a guest, and then we're going to be talking about um, basically our journey to ophthalmology, how we looked into opto, um, because you know it's it's not easy to get to it from um, if if you don't have a department or even from you know just core rotations. We're going to talk a little bit about a research year, why do a research year, if a research year is good for you, what should you look for um, in a mentor and things like that, and and what do you want to get out of it. And then um, there are a lot of other aspects of the application process that just, you know, we can't cover here because it's just going to be too long, but we will cover in another episode. So we're going to talk about the Alta Suite, which is a new group of tests Um, that was added to the ophthalmology um, residency application process this year that we definitely have a lot of um, thoughts on. (laughs) I know other specialties are also... We have strong opinions on this, guys. Oh, yeah. Just a heads up. Oh, yeah. This is the first year that it was implemented, and it's a pilot, so don't be alarmed. Um, We will go more into this. It's not like your standard test that you would think of, but anyway, um, that's... Yeah, we'll leave it at that for this yes. episode. And then, yeah, we'll talk about a lot a lot of more interesting stuff, like how, uh, what do we think about Zoom interviews and then away rotations, going to conferences and things like that. So stay the tuned. The fun stuff. Stay tuned. Exactly, the fun stuff. This was the administrative stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you all for listening and have a great day. Thank you all.